Bush, one of the top 100 most influential people in cannabis by High Times Magazine in 2018, and one of the 2016 Cannabis Business Executives, 50 Most Important Women in the Cannabis Industry. She became an advocate after working in the political world in Rome under the Obama National Finance Committee. She opened Simply Pure Dispensary in Denver in 2015 with her husband, Scott Durham. And she is the first African-American woman to own a medical marijuana dispensary in or a marijuana dispensary in Colorado. Please welcome Wanda James. Thank you so much, Wanda, for being here today. Thanks for having me. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I want to want to back up a little bit. And, and when did you get started or get involved in the cannabis industry? When did you first get involved? Well, we first got <laughs> when I first got involved, I was about sixteen years old. But when we first got legally involved, it would have been um in uh mid two thousand and nine when we decided to open up our first dispensary, which was the Apothecary of Colorado in downtown Denver. Uh-huh. And back in two thousand and nine, that was you know, again, long before this has become the Vogue industry and the green rush began. <laughs> so, I mean, this must have been, and I was, you know, I would uh, all uh, 100% disclosure, I had an office in downtown Denver and uh, can't imagine how you were received back in 2009, especially being an African-American woman in Denver, Colorado, opening a dispensary. How did that go? Well, I mean, it was crazy because there was no rules back then, right? So, I mean, literally, um, folks would show up at your desk with cannabis in backpacks or edibles, and you would taste them or try them right there on the spot and decide whether you're going to put them in the dispensary or not. There was no labeling. There was no packaging. Um, there was no licensing. Uh, when we opened up the first dispensary, we opened as a quote-unquote wellness center because that was the closest thing to a license that we could do. So um, it was really different. It, Denver is, and Colorado was home for me. I was former military. My dad was stationed here throughout my life off and on. So coming back to Colorado, um, coming off of Obama's National Finance Committee, and after working with Congressman Polis, now Governor Jared Polis, um, it, you know, it all made sense. But even then, there was an article written in the Denver Post called Coming Out of the Cannabis Closet. And when that article came out, we got phone calls from a lot of political folks saying that we had destroyed our careers. Nobody was going to talk to us again. <laughs> right, right, right. You know? And then like, talk, talk a little bit about your husband's background. So Scott is a former Marine um, entrepreneur. He's been a horticulturist for the state of Massachusetts. He's um uh, been a, a chef and started cooking in the Caribbean uh, when he was much younger and um, has opened up five restaurants uh, from California to uh, Superior in Denver here in Colorado. Um, and now he does edibles. He cooks for people. He cooks for folks that are um, ailing. Um, and his new line of edibles will be out in the next few months. Right. But now, so, okay, you opened up your first Apothecary back in 2009. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the name of the dispensary they have in Denver? So now it's Simply Pure. So our second um, location is Simply Pure. Yep. And I mean, you know, you you've watched this industry grow now for 10 years. I mean, what do you what do you think about the growth and especially how it's rolled out in Colorado? So. Colorado has done amazing things, and at the same time, it's it's messed a lot of things up. Being first 
um, is always difficult. Um, what's amazing about what we've done here in Colorado is, I, I mean, the different levels of products that we have here, and you're aware of everything from, you, you know, candy bars to soft drinks to topicals, um, all done extremely professionally, extremely well done uh, with the latest technology, and it's been fantastic from, from that um, aspect, uh, getting rid of the black market. I think Colorado has done a phenomenal job. Our cannabis here, for the most part, is um, definitively clean and safe. Um, what we didn't do well is we did not allow for minority ownership. As a matter of fact, Colorado is now famous, I believe, for um, having so few minority owners that, you know, <laughs> having so few minority owners, it's, it's pretty sad. Right, right. And I mean, now, now, I would think that by now, Colorado would have formed a trade organization, if you will, where people would come together a little bit more than they would battle each other on the battlefield, trying to ink out their own little, you know, fiefdom. But it hasn't built one yet. Why? Well, there's a couple of trade associations in town, but you know, once again, they're representing a larger, a lot of the larger well-financed firms. Um, it, you know, I think the issue with this industry is um, a lot of distrust amongst owners. I mean, when we were in the restaurant industry, restaurant owners get together and we talk about what we're doing all the time, you know, <laughs> let each other know what's the ins and outs, you know, um, what's going on, how's it going on. And here you don't really have that, you know, it's very much uh, close to the chest. People don't want to tell you what they're doing, what new things are coming out. Um, and I think the system has actually set us up to battle against each other, right? Because of the amount of dispensaries in Colorado, um, I don't know that we have done a good job of of creating a community of uh, like-minded owners, unfortunately. And, and now you, you are one of how many minority owners of dispensaries in Colorado now, do you know? Well, and there's the biggest issue as well, too, is Colorado itself will not get any, will not take any information as to who owns these dispensaries. We do know that there are 1,685 owners in Colorado. We estimate that less than 15 of them are black or brown. Um, we've come up with that there are two um, black-owned dispensaries in Denver, maybe three, um, and there might be two in Aurora. So we think all toll um, there may be uh, five black-owned dispensaries in Colorado, but we're not sure. And then, then that still goes back to that question I have. Why would not the black minority, very small ownership group, at least come together from time to time to just talk about the pitfalls and, and advantages of the business? So we've been trying to do that. You know, we've got the list together and we've been talking to folks. And I, and I will say that... Um, uh, we are partnering with one of the other firms um, here in Colorado. Hopefully, we'll be able to announce that partnership very soon, but we're very excited about what that could potentially mean for us. And, you know, you're going to have to have those kind of partnerships, even across the nation. You know, we talk about it now, you know, even in terms of Colorado, but across the nation, there are probably less than 20 black-owned um, cannabis uh, businesses. So it, even from that standpoint, the strength that you would get if we had all come together when we talk about that. Absolutely. I don't know if you know, I uh, own my own brand myself. And, you know, I'm looking forward to, to 
looking at synergisms with other organizations, especially black-owned organizations across the country. So we should, you know, uh, after this podcast, actually reach out and let's let's uh, stay in touch so we can look at what's coming down the pike rather than what's already passed. This in itself, I think, is one of the most important things that we can do because, you know, we're up against right now, and, and as you know in the industry, um, large, you know, billion-dollar head funds, head funds are what's buying out and what's competing for most of the licenses across the United States, which is why minority firms and women-owned firms or veteran-owned firms, you know, are not well represented within this community because the cost of entry has become ridiculous. Even the cost of writing a license could cost you $250,000. Right. So it would be fantastic to actually have a um, an allied group of people, like-minded folks that are saying state to state, you know, let's put some um, expertise and uh, force behind making sure that some of these licenses are going to minority-owned businesses. Let's let's talk a little bit about the the cannabis itself. I mean, now your dispensary, you said that you literally have been trying to stay away from the technology that speeds people through the experience and would yep. rather keep your experience one that's more, I would say, more patient-centric where a person can come in and literally spend some time with you to understand what they're about to purchase. Why don't you talk a little bit about that philosophy? So right now, and especially in Colorado, we do well over a billion dollars worth of sales. So the, the the general retail model is get them in, get them out, you know, order online, come in, pick up your bag, get in, get out. Now, we have that capability. If you want to order in line and, I mean, order online, it will be ready and sitting there for you for the person that knows exactly what it is that they want. But we pride ourselves at Simply Pure because... We're America's first dispensary, so we get so many people that come in from Kansas and Wyoming and Texas and Florida um, that are, you know, 55, 70, you know, 80 years old. Last time they got high was the Bob Marley concert in 1972, you know, and right. um, or their, their college dorm room. And now they really are coming in for things. And even though we're a recreational dispensary, we started off as medical, but people that are coming in from out of state a lot of times are coming in for medical issues. They have back right. pain. They have high blood pressure they have anxiety so they want to talk about what works yeah i've been talking about excuse me just, uh, i'm talking about quite a bit but <laughs> excuse me i'm so sorry that you know a lot of times you know we've changed this terminology to recreational or adult use but mm -hmm. don't recognize that the person who actually selects cannabis over alcohol probably originally selected cannabis because of an underlying medical issue, even if though they won't even call it that themselves. They're coming in for a reason why they don't want to use alcohol, but they would prefer to use cannabis, and cannabis is solving an issue for them. Do you kind of find that the same with most of your recreational patients? That's almost 100%. I got to tell you, in this country right now, Honestly, I don't know anybody over the age of 40 right now that does not have issues in sleeping. I mean, I, I, I'm going to put out there that probably 98% of the people I know have an issue either falling asleep or staying asleep. A lot of folks that are coming in are, are battling um, insomnia and don't want to take um, the prescription drugs for it. So they are coming in asking for that. The second biggest reason we get 
is pain, um, whether it's back pain or leg pain, joint pain, arthritis. Um, it, it's pretty amazing what we're finding. And now we're finding that THC and CBD does great for things like migraine um, uh, issues. So yeah, absolutely. A lot of people are coming in and that's why we wanted people to sit down and talk about where they're trying to get with this plant. And even if where they're trying to get is, you know what, I just want to come home and relax when I get home from work. In my mind, that's a medicinal issue too, right? Absolutely. I mean, you look at the fact that, you know, Israel back 10 years ago, they made cannabis a geriatric drug, whereas at the age of 70, you could automatically get your card or prescription filled for cannabis just because of your age, recognizing that cannabis fulfilled the need of so many prescription medications that people were taking that were unnecessary. Yep. And yeah. we've just not caught up with that yet here in the United States, though I did see a, an article recently, and maybe you can speak to this about demographically, but I just saw an article last week that said that, you know, contrary to popular belief, you know, the largest percentage of buyers of cannabis now in the recreational markets are people over the age of 60. Exactly. That's exactly it. And the fastest growing group um, under that group are actually older women that are finding the cannabis is helping with menopausal issues. You know, Montel, the way that we are being prescribed drugs in this country, tell me how anybody can feel good when you're taking six, seven, eight different drugs a day. And I don't care what they're for. You, you just can't feel good when you're taking that many drugs. You know, there has to be a better way in this country of figuring out how we're going to age, how we're going to deal with things like chronic pain um, without, you know, numbing our senses and, and taking away who we are um, <laughs> from a yeah. basic personality standpoint. So, but, but I think um, the, model, the model has been, been just grown this way over the last, you know, 70 years where, you know, we every day you find out about another drug that just got approved after $200 million worth of research on a molecule that didn't even need to be researched, but we spend all this money to get, you know, for, uh, the FDA to give approval for a drug that then causes more side effects than yep. what it's trying yep. to cure. Where well, we and still... I think we're finding with this explosion too with cannabis, I think it's starting to open up the minds to at least a lot of young doctors and a lot of young medical medical profession professionals on just plant-based medicines in general. Um, yes, cannabis and what this plant can do with CBD and CBN and all the different parts of it that we're only now starting to discover does amazing things, but we would be foolish to believe that this is the only plant on the planet that has, um, you know, these amazing types of medicinal effects. Correct. And we know now that as we look at, at lots of different plants, like you just said, on the planet, we're starting to find out that cannabinoids or molecules similar to cannabinoids exist in other fruits and vegetables. Exactly. And people, exactly. you know, they've avoided them because we've been stuck in this mindset that, you know, not science, but pharmaceuticals are better. And there's no, uh, what we've recognized is that plant-based pharmaceuticals are better than the pharmaceuticals that are made from replicated molecules. That's exactly it, right? That's exactly it. That's exactly Crazy. it. So, so, you yeah, know, we'll see what this opens up for us, you know, and, and this is the, the beauty of cannabis. And, and like I said, the idea that if medicine and it has a, a side effect and the side effect makes you giggle and really enjoy a cheesecake, I don't know if that's really all that bad, you know. So right. I'm all about this plant. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. You know, I, I, I have to bring this up, you know, just like myself. 
you spent time on active duty in the military yourself, did you not? Absolutely. You and I actually met in the military. Really? When was that? Remind me. Oh, no. No, no, no. I don't go. No, I'm saying remind me. Remind me. Please tell me where. We met in um, recruiting district in New York City back in, and I don't know if it was end of 1990, somewhere right in there. Well, I was you speaking around the country. You were. You were coming in, and they had brought together a group of black officers because they'd sent us throughout the South, but we all started in New York, and we'd gone to a high school with you um, to right. see you do a, a thing, and I think that that next morning, um, they had sent us back down through Mississippi. or Not us. You weren't with right. us in that group, but they'd sent the group out to New York City, but it was interesting back then watching you address um, you know, uh, a group of high schoolers to talk about there's a better way than, than drugs and gangs. So well, was I, was, I will say to you that I remember that, and now I think I remember you being a part of that contingent because you were <laughs> one of the only African-American females <laughs> officers there, yeah. correct? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I remember, you know, now the exactly. reason why I remember it, so people out who are listening right now don't think I'm just full of crap. I'm going to tell you the reason why I remember it is because the school that Wanda is talking about is one of the only schools in Manhattan that let me speak. I spoke That's in over crazy. 1,500 schools across the country, and when I tried to come back to speak in New York City, New York City literally, because you know the program that I had started back then that you're talking about, uh, it was called Reach the American Dream, and there was only one person in this country that was allowed to speak in schools, and it was a former police officer, excuse me, named Toma. And because of the Toma speeches, they created that television series or a television special that was called, uh, oh man, it was, it was locked up. I can't remember the name of it now. Um, uh, where they literally took people into guys into some young people into prisons and had them scared straight. That was the name of the show oh, yeah. back then. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and because of scared straight, the New York City public schools were shutting down people coming into schools. And I remember this event uh, where we spoke, or I spoke at, because um, it was the only event that the, the only the only school in New York City that would allow me to come in and speak. So That's I remember funny. you being there. Wow, that is really really <laughs> funny. So it takes this long for us to circle back to each other. Oh, wow, really you know, it's well, and it's interesting too of how many vets are involved in this industry or want to be involved in this industry and how many vets are patients of the cannabis plant and asking for the cannabis plant for things from pain to PTSD. So, and especially um, the way we're trained, and I, let's go back to that date. You, you said it. I, I was in the, that school speaking to kids about staying in school, staying away from drugs, and staying away from all the other negative youth trends. And back then, my mindset was more... Uh, more conservative and more the fact that, and at that point in time, I didn't know anything at all, all about cannabis. Absolutely. You know? No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And even when you think about the military, you know, I get asked about the time those years was, was the only time where I didn't smoke was because the, the penalties for a military officer being caught with, you know, um, street drugs or anything would, you know, straight to Leavenworth. But what right. I did find... And, and a dishonorable about, discharge. Oh, yeah, there was, your life was done. But the thing that I did find interesting about the military and, and being deployed, I was in Bermuda um, as a IUSS officer with a P3 squadron is in the officer's club, top shelf alcohol was 75 cents. You know, oh, yeah. so 
you know, you could you could drink, and if you could stay standing when the Marine Harrier pilots were in, and you could you know out drink those guys, you know that was a badge of honor. Absolutely, so, and, the ne- and if you got up the next morning still with some on your breath, but you didn't take a drink in the first thing of the day, they didn't care. Didn't which care. was really ridiculous to exactly. me. You know, I, I, well, let me tell you, exactly. I, I, I also will, will, will go ahead and make the admission, but I know, you know, I did three submarine trips, and, uh, you know, there were several of the senior enlisted guys who used to know how to get away with bringing on a case of, of, uh, of uh, <laughs> mouthwash. You know, <laughs> you have guys showing up to, for deployment with two cases of mouthwash and go, hmm, I wonder why he wants to have his breath so clean. Because the fool was drinking while we were at sea. You know what I mean? Because you're, you're drinking. Out. I mean, it's a badge of honor of, of being able to be drunk in the military. And now we're, as people are starting to talk about that, we're finding out that that level of alcoholism has caused, you know, tremendous issues. So it's sad that at this point that we're still not allowing people to um, – choose how to even recreate but um yeah, yeah but I, well at least at least the va is kind of in this this odd tacit you know um policy where if a person tests positive in a state where there is legal cannabis <clears throat> then they are not at least you know voided of their va benefits so at least we're moving in a exactly. positive direction exactly which Hopefully, we move faster as soon as we get this um, off the schedule and, and, and move it toward legalization. Which, by the way, <coughs> I'm so sorry. <coughs> by the way, I, I wonder, what are, what are your thoughts about that? How fast do you think we're going to? You've been, you've been a part of this industry now, actually selling product for now 10 years. How much longer do you think it'll be before the, the, our government wakes up and changes some of the regulations? I think we're going to see dramatic movement within the next 24 months, if not the next 12 months. And I think that the reason for that is, is the, I mean, we're at 33 states right now that are allowing for medicinal sales, you know, 11 states that are allowing for recreational sales, and then California. And California is the one. I remember the District of Columbia, too, now. And the District of Columbia, actually, at D.C. Um, But California is the wild card in this because of the amount of money that California will generate. And there is no way that we can continue to have an illegal market that's generating, you know, $15 billion, $20 billion a year across the nation. I mean, that needs to be um, a regular business. It needs to operate like a business. I think what people don't realize is business owners currently don't have normal business practices. In other words, we can't depreciate. We can't write off our employees. Um, you know, you can't put tax- your money in a bank. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's, let's just start with the simplest thing of all. You can't accept a credit card. So, you, you know, you, when you at the card. end of the week, when you take right. all of your receipts, you got to go. You know, I, I still yep. know of people in different areas of this country rolling money into coffee cans and putting them in vaults that they have built themselves in the middle of nowhere. Yep. yep. I mean, there are still a few places in Denver that have literally built vaults into their growth facilities. And I mean, this is an obscene way to do a legal business. And especially at the point that we're now a decade into this, clearly it's not going anywhere. But the federal government, what people don't understand, we are still taxed by the federal government at 80% of our income, which is all of our profits because we are taxed under the same laws that that governed Scarface or Pablo Escobar, you know? Right. So 
this is the federal government makes you know billions of dollars off of off of this industry but there's no way that we can continue this without the very basics like you say ie banking um so i think that we're in for a game changer coming up here very quickly um i don't know we have seen we have seen some movement we have seen some movement in congress about trying yeah. to change the regulations when it comes to banking and that hopefully would happen, but I'm not sure under this administration whether or not we'll see that happen. I think it pretty soon this administration is going to need all the friends that they can get. So right, yeah, well that would that <laughs> so would also we'll be one that would also be one that might you know bode well for him individually as a reelection component, but uh, and would then also bode bode poorly for the rest of us. You know, I must say, you know, you're you're I, I'm so interested. In your your husband's involvement in your business, especially you know you gotta you gotta go ahead and tout some of his you know largesse uh, you know the fact that he he was what second on the Bon Appetit Chef Challenge. He did. He won the semifinals and came in second as um, Bon Appetit Chef. He has been. Um, you know, his edibles have won all different types of awards. He cooks for um, numerous athletes and celebrities, uh, our restaurants in LA. Um, Scott always had a celebrity following from the Wayans to, uh, Robert De Niro and all different types of folks. So, I mean, this is what he does. He loves the food behind it. Uh, so we look forward to getting ready to open up, uh, hopefully one day, a, a cannabis restaurant. Unfortunately, Colorado's laws don't allow for that yet. We saw that it happened in California. But we have a line of edibles coming out by the end of the year. Um, so keep your eye open for that. And uh, right. you know, Scott believes in you know food and cannabis. It's um, it's therapeutic. It's good for you. It's relaxation. It's you know it's what he does. So. And have philosophy, you been? Uh, philosophy. Yeah. Have you been? Have you been? Uh, I, I I can tell that you guys have a philosophy of inclusion. And have you been mentoring any people in the industry, especially any women? Especially any oh, African-American yeah. woman. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, yes. That's, it, it, you know, I mean, that's really what we do. It's, it's interesting when, you know, you look around and it's, it's funny because I'm not going to say that we try to be inclusive. We just are inclusive, right? You know, the, the folks that are around us that we bring in, um, you know, my director of marketing, my uh, personal assistant, you know, are both African-American women. Um, we make sure that we go deep into the communities of color when we're hiring to let people know that these jobs exist. Because that's the other thing. People don't know that cannabis companies have controllers and marketing directors and, and uh, you know, COOs. So we like to make sure that folks understand that, yeah, these jobs are out there just you know, it, it's up to the companies to, to reach into the communities to find the people. Well, I'm, I'm involved in right now in, in multiple states. I mean, I literally have, have a footprint, I think, in probably now 12 or 13 states, not necessarily business footprint, but just a presence, either having testified legislatively or involved with movements that are going on at the, at the time. But what about, you know, I, I literally just got involved in some initiatives that are going on in Maryland. And, you know, uh, I'm asked quite often, is there is there a website or a, a email address that people could reach out to you on that you can give up right now to say you know if you're looking to you're African American entrepreneur and you're looking to get into business then you know reach out to Wanda James and we might be able to give you some assistance. Absolutely. So um, Wanda at cannabisglobal.org. 
Okay, Cannabis and, Global. And let's, you want mm-hmm. to talk a little bit about that, that initiative, Cannabis Global, I'm sorry, Cannabis Global Cannabis Initiative. Global initiative. Yeah, tell yep. me a little bit about it. CGI has been around for a little over 10 years. Um, we use this as our consulting arm where we work with different consultants from all over the globe um, to be able to address the different issues that municipalities have in speaking about cannabis becoming legal, that companies have addressing the different issues that are now happening because it's legal. If your top three executives come to Colorado this you know, this weekend and then come back, you know, and you give them a drug test in Alabama, that might not bode well for your, right. <laughs> for your, for, for your companies. Um, so we just want to be able to tell people, you know, how to work with this. Um, we're looking at opening up a supplier diversity to make sure that even for the entre- black and brown entrepreneurs that have businesses outside of cannabis, we need you in cannabis. Um, you know, we need graphic designers. We need packagers. We need, you know, uh, folks that uh, do waste management. So what anything that you can imagine is happening in other industries, it's happening in this industry. And we want people to know that there are people of color that do this. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I really would love to have your views also on, you know, recently, you know, and, uh, there's an article that came out about a week ago about a young lady who was, you know, in a nursing program. Um, who in a state where cannabis is legal, um, literally tested positive going to school and then was actually kicked out of her class in Arizona. What do you, what do you think about this? I mean, do you want, how do, you, how do we change these attitudes if we can't even change the attitudes of those that are in states where cannabis has been voted in by the constituency of the state? You know, you have a state like Arizona that has legal medical marijuana. It is legal in that state. You have a person who has a prescription or a, a has a recommendation in that state using cannabis and going to school, and then when the school does a drug test, throws them out of the school because they're using something that's legal in their state. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Just out of curiosity, what was this nurse's last name? Uh, I got the article right here in front of me. <laughs> I'm, just, um, I'm just curious. But <laughs> pulling it up, pulling it up, pulling it up. Does she give her name out here? Um, I'm talking about as a college student. Let me find her name. Sorry. Here, I'll follow this up. Go ahead. The, re- the reason why. Oh, Sheeta. Her name is uh, Sheeta Asir. A S S A R. So it sounds. She like was expelled from from the Gateway Community College in Phoenix last month for violating the school's drug policy after she tested positive for marijuana, which she uses to treat her chronic pain from polycystic ovary syndrome. Which is which absolutely, was rec- which is recommended by a doctor who is a medical marijuana state. Correct. Um, which would be no different than, I mean, and I would say, once again, I'm not a lawyer, I just play one on TV, but I'm kind of wondering what the, the HIPAA charges are because medical marijuana is covered by um, our, our HIPAA rules. So that information shouldn't have been any more accessible to the school than whether or not she's using oxycodone or or Valium for for anxiety. Well, you mean, know what they probably did was they drug tested her for for all yep. drugs. Marijuana came up positive, and they used yep. that saying that you volunteered the, the drug test, so therefore we're going to voluntarily throw you out. Which is which is ridiculous, and and you know it's 
it's what we see. We see less of it now because, you know, 65% of the country is moving toward this. But there are still these blocks of folks that still can't get past the, you know, the dorm room, you know, Bob Marley, black light poster, you know, idea of this is what being stoned means. And we find that people with all different types of diseases now are finding relief, um, especially neurological diseases such as Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. And MS, um, MS, MS like that, that you're aware of. Exactly. Mm. So it, it's time that we start to change this. And once again, Montel, I think it takes um, people to speak out about it that normalize it. And you do a great job of this. Somebody who is respected that people do um, know and, you know, you, you know, you, you, hit, you check all the boxes of, of what, quote unquote, in America, respectability is. And we've got to start to show that this is a very normal thing for people to, to want, to need, and it works. Um, Absolutely. It works. It works, and especially, you know, in recent, I'm, I'm going to keep you a couple more minutes, but, I, you know, if I uh, have had many discussions with, you know, several prominent doctors, Dr. Raz, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, and Sanjay, who's been doing these specials on yep. cannabis, who yep. finally, in this last one that he did, a lot of people didn't recognize or didn't see it, didn't hear it, but he finally, in this last special, number five, stated unequivocally that THC is not the villain, you know, he had up until this point in time, I think he's part of the reason for our boon of recent uh, years, and that is because of his specials talking about Charlotte's Web and talking about mm-hmm. CBD. But in a sense, when he talked about CBD, he gave a tacit vilification of THC. Mm-hmm. In this very last special that he did, he finally, in the last five minutes of it, and we, he and I had, had a discussion about it, I told him, Dude, you can't vilify THC because we know that for studies that have been going on for over 15 years in Israel and in other places around the world, we've discovered that THC has an in, an, an enormous impact on tumor cells and on Absolutely. helping to also regulate you know, homeostasis. So how can you Absolutely. vilify it? And he finally came out and said that. So. You know, do you, how do we how do we how do we crack this nut now, Wanda? I mean, really, literally, I think it's it's time now. You know, I was in discussions yesterday, about yesterday, with a group talking about what I believe is the biggest issue facing this industry right now. It's education. You know, yep. we have done a great job in in, in opening yep. up dispensaries, opening up stores, but we're not educating even the demographic that is in most need. And I'm going to say the only reason why cannabis has evolved to where it has, it's been because of baby boomers who are politicians who remember that, oh, you know, I smoked a joint when I was 15, 16, and I'm not, you know, in jail or shooting people or killing people. So now they finally recognize it, you know, and Bobby Boo, Bobby Babudo, who was smoking, is now the president and CEO of Upside Fire Company. So they've lessened their angst against it. But they are the ones who literally are in most need of it, I believe. And that's the baby boomer population, which has well, the most that, disposable income in this entire country, by the way. Um, that and also, too, when it happens to you, when you hear that you have MS, when you hear that right. you have cancer, when it's your child with epilepsy, all of a sudden then, you know, whatever anybody has that they think, you know, can help, you know, you're going to you're gonna turn to that. And I got to tell you, I hope to God I never hear those words in my life, but... If I found out that I had cancer tomorrow, I would turn to my friends and colleagues in this industry because I have yet to see how um, big pharma um, ends cancer without surgery and without destroying your body. And I've seen it work 
um, on tumors and with people in this industry, I would go that route first. Um, if I definitely well, you know, well, let me say, I, I, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but about a year and a month ago, well, a year and two months ago, I had, um, wow, well, no, it's longer than that, about a year and four months ago, I had a major hemorrhagic stroke and have talked to and been seen by some of the top neurologists in the country and in the world. And one of those neurologists, I won't give out their name, said to me unequivocally that if I ever had a stroke, and especially if I had one like yours, I would do exactly what you did, and that is turn to cannabis as quickly as I possibly can. I my fact, he said, I probably, if I'm surviving, and I would definitely be using it the day after, and part of the reason yep. is because of the neuroprotective quality that we know yep. full-spectrum yep. cannabinoids has, yep. period. Yeah. And, but, Absolutely. you know, that's somebody who said it to me, and look, look at the way I just explained it. I can't give out his name. But, yeah, exactly you know, right. We got to start getting some of these people at that top level mm -hmm. to start to admit the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. About what this is, you know. Um, and and it's time for all of the things um, that we have been told about this. And the younger generation gets it that, you know, it's been marketed to. I mean, everything, you know, if you're, if you're stoned every day, all day, no, that's not a good thing for anybody. But the idea that this plant um, has done the kind of harm that uh, the Reefer Madness films have put out there over the last 70 years, it's just trying, time to change that. And that's only going to change with normalization of people seeing it, um, you know, with people in their everyday lives. Well, hey, do me a favor, go ahead and throw out your, your stats again so when people come to Colorado and they want to be able to check you out, where should they go up online to get information? Simply Pure? Absolutely. Well, so Simply Pure Dispensary, and it's in Lohi in Denver, Colorado, and I can be reached at um, WLJ, or WL James on Twitter, Facebook, and um, uh, Instagram, and Simply Pure MJ on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Okay, that's absolutely unbelievable. You know, we're going to reach out to you again because we'd love to have you back. I mean, it's love talking to you. I could do, you know, the podcast after podcast after podcast with you. So if you want to spend a little bit more time chatting, we'd love to have you here at Let's Be Blunt. Well, you know what? And I absolutely love this. And thank you for doing that. And uh, BZ, Mr. Montel, you're doing a great job. Oh, you are too, Wanda. Thank you so much for your per your your perspective and your presence in this industry. And so many more people need to understand. If you need some, you have questions, you want to get some advice, Wanda James is the place to go. I'm going to say thank you so much, Wanda, for being a part of today's Let's Be Blunt podcast. And make sure you tune in to the next Let's Be Blunt.